All right, hello, and welcome everyone to another episode of Waiting to Be Signed, the show where we reveal the week's events on FX Hash. My name is Will, and I'm joined by Trinity. Before we get started, a quick disclaimer we are here to talk about art, not just the aesthetics, but the money surrounding it, as the market is a key part of FX Hash. That said, nothing we say here should be taken as financial advice. It is just for fun and conversation. You can follow us on Twitter at Waiting to Sign to keep up with our thoughts throughout the week. Or for those who prefer a visual language, on Instagram at Waiting to Be Signed. And if you are feeling generous, of course, we are always accepting donations, including tokens, at our Tez wallet address, Waiting to Sign. Tez. Trinity, big week, I think. Was it a big week for you or was this a slow, normal uh, week for are, you? Are we talking about crypto life or are we talking about real life? I don't know. It just feels strange to, to to suppose that it's not a big week. I think the assumption is that it was a big week, but if it, you know, now you can tell me if I'm wrong. Well, I mean, it could be philosophically speaking, no week is a big week because there are so many weeks. Okay. No week is bigger than the last. Just a statistically average week then? Uh, I did not pay much attention to FX Ash. I was in the middle of marathon, heads down, working sessions, which sucked and were unexpected. Who can we talk to at your job about letting you devote more time to FX Ash? You know, I think that you could talk to me at my job about devoting more time to FX Hash. But All right, you're, uh, you're at the top of the. It's life choices, the, the right? Yeah. Yeah. You make a life choice to bet spend more time dedicated to FX Ash, right? Technically. Technically, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you know, I have the luxury of not having hyper deadline driven work. <laughs> so if that email gets sent today versus tomorrow, sometimes it doesn't make a big difference. Must be nice, as they say. My client scrapped over half of what we we're going to work on starting next week. Cool. Which is work for 600 people. And so we have to start the other 50% again <laughs> from start. And it's not it's, fun. It sounds like classic corporate decision making to me. Hey, the business case supported it, right? But that's not fun stuff to talk about. How was your week? Um, my week was pretty good. I got a lot of post-it notes taken down, got a few new ones put up. I've started a post-it note graveyard underneath my desk. It's a little plastic bag where I'm putting them all in. And then I can kind of measure my progress of the trash can. It's not a trash can. It is a, uh, a bag that once homed pretzels, but now the pretzels have been consumed and now it's slowly being filled <laughs> with torn up post-it notes. That is called upcycling your pretzel yeah, exactly. bag. So that, that's what's going on. I'm getting a lot of stuff done. Feeling good that we, I think we have like a lot of clarity into August of maybe who we're going to talk to and record, which is feeling really good. It was a passive week on FX Hash, right? There wasn't like a ton of really, really big drops to follow, but I feel like the excitement's building again, as we'll probably talk later in the episode about some of the drops that are up currently in the queue. Yeah, lots of interesting, fun stuff coming up. I'm feeling optimistic. I'm glad. Optimism is so powerful and so good. And I think optimism is the thing that makes every week big. Well, there was something big this week in terms of the news and stuff that we can, there were a couple of big things, but before we get to the news, should we talk about the donations? Yeah, we got some good donations this week. The first was called Bathroom Talk, a collaboration between 80 underscore 80, Cut Up Banana and Anna Maria Caballero. 
Uh, this is from Hall of Fame.tez, who is such a great and consistent donator. Thank you so much. And this is a weird uh, audiovisual work on object. Bathroom talk. <laughs> Watching you pee in front of me while we talk about not being late. We also got a Fargeal from Flynn's, uh, their drop of the week. A presence from Fojibus, which, how do we pronounce that? I can't pronounce it. I think it's Fojibus, as in like a play on the word Jesus. Yeah. Fojibus, okay. And then two really awesome donations as well from Lucas S. Ravel, Sketchbook, and Morning Mist, which are two of their drops, including the one that was a collaboration with Gibitombo. And also the source and inspiration for my Canadian lakeside vacation two weeks ago. Beautiful. It's like they listen. I feel like anyone who probably donates has at least listened to a couple episodes. So thank you, oh. everyone. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. So that was donations. Thank you again. We love to see it. Should we talk about some of the big events of the week, the news? Yeah. Uh, which big news event would you like to start with? Let's start with the FX hash one, which was a new all-time high in sales. We had a garden monoliths, a, a pink edition, uh, which I think is the scarcest color palette and a very, very nice composition at, at that, that sold for 75,000 Tez. Uh, and this was Shivan Boulder's piece that had been up for quite a long time. I think it was maybe listed at like 90 or 100K even, but then it sold through... It was listed at a hundred thousand, yeah. So still seventy five thousand Tez, which I think was like a hundred at the time of the sale, like around one hundred thirty thousand in U.S. dollars, and that is a huge multiple over the last all time high sale, which was a different Garden Mindless sold that sold for fifteen thousand. So even with the decline in Tez, that's still a significant step up. And I think the ones that were selling at fifteen thousand, that was when actually Tez was even tanked lower. Oh, was uh, it, I haven't was checked it? the test price recently, but if we're skirting $2, I think it was more when it was in the 150 160 range. I'd have to double check. We're at 175 so that this week has been a pretty big week, I guess, in, in crypto. And for whatever reason, all the news regarding inflation is make, making crypto finally go up for once. It's like we were selling on the news from inflation, now all of a sudden we're buying. But that's, that's Everything's that's unstable. Yeah. Put your money into crypto. <laughs> I think the other interesting thing here is that it's not the all-time hit. Uh, all-time high on Tezos. That was a one-of-one one by Xcopy that sold for 83,000 Tez. But I think it's probably number two. So In, in terms of raw Tez, it's, probably, it's definitely it's, In terms it's of raw two, Tez. Right? Yeah, one Tez no. is one Tez. Come on. Yeah, but if, if we convert it to USD, which we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit, I'd be curious to know if there's anything that sold below that 83,000 mark, but also would have been more than the dollar equivalent of the 75,000 sale, because I bet that X copy sale came months ago, if not maybe yeah. even back in 2021 when Tez was like maybe four or five bucks. So there, that's quite a big gap. Yeah. I remember when the X copy thing sold. So it was at the earliest December. Okay. Uh, so that would have been my back own personal time. Pretty, pretty yeah. strong. And, you know. and we had a huge bull run in um, December. So it would make sense. New record sale. It's obviously good. It shows that people are paying attention to the platform. And yeah, as you're highlighting here, like very cool fact, of course, that since they sold it through the platform and they didn't try to circumvent the royalty, that was 11,250 Tez to Zancan there. So the smart contract at work, we love to see artists rewarded. And that is technically the third highest sale 
Oh, and FX Ash. <laughs> Just the royalty itself, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I think it's the fourth highest. I think we sold something yeah. at 1250 but yeah. So not bad. If you saw it on Twitter or in the sales feed, this was a 36 whale emoji sale. So what's the emoji that can be bigger than a whale? I don't know. We'd have to see at a at a hundred thousand what happens. Does it go to fifty whales or does is there a new It goes to fifty now? whales. But maybe fifty whales combine up. Maybe they merge into some other this is this is ciphered if you're listening. You need to think about what what is the animal we're gonna see at a hundred thousand? Because it could be sooner than we think it, given the amount of attention that the platform's getting in general. But there's nothing bigger than a whale. There are things that are more dominant than a whale, but a blue whale, <laughs> which is I think what we see in the sales feed, it is like a football field. Or it's either a football field or like 11 stories, which actually might be smaller than a football field. I haven't thought about this since I was six years old. So, All right. You can, you can report back to us next week. What's bigger than a whale? Should we move on to the other drop of the that was off FX hash that was also very kind of historic and interesting for Tezos? Yeah. And this is something that we've known about specifically since uh, Art Basel in Basel. When Marina Abramovich did actually have a segment talking about NFT art specifically, and I think we talked about it at the time where she was basically saying that NFT artists today are basically the performance artists uh, of of now. Uh, you know, she was like on the very much on the avant-garde scene back in the 1970s when she was getting her start, and so she announced then that she was releasing her first NFT on the blockchain and that came out this week it's called the hero 25 fps and it is frames of a performance piece that she did way back when called the hero it's basically her riding a white horse holding a white flag it is 6500 editions about what what was it 110 tez something like that yeah it was 110 tez which i think was like they had it denominated in pounds. I don't remember what it was in dollars. It probably was like $180 or something in US. 6,500 frames. You had the ability to purchase just one frame. So you'd basically get a still or you can purchase multiple frames, which would create a little animated looping GIF, which is cool. I kind of wish I had purchased a looping one because the stills are just like pausing a video, right? And everything is a little bit blurry and not so crisp. This was kind of interesting in that you could, as you said, purchase it with a credit card, allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. (laughs) Or Tezos. My plan for this one, because I was low on Tez, was to pay with a credit card, unfortunately. And like some other folks that we know who were looking forward to this, and I think also planning to to take advantage of that, um, I was not able to. And even though there are still some for, there's still some available to mint. There are still many available to mint. Uh, I think only 1,200 have been minted out of the 6,500. Oh, really? I think it's only a quarter gone according to the stats on object. I'm looking at the website now, so it's like 1,919 out of 6,500 minted. Yeah, and I I guess some of those would be based off of people buying multiples because there are 1.12, just over 1,100 available on object not for sale but right. just some, some of those object. frames got combined into single pieces yeah it's exactly. it's a bit of a shame i mean i feel like this is one of those instances where you know you have an artist who trusted a partner here to bring their work onto the blockchain and do it in a way that was kind of like seamless and worked and was accessible and the idea and the spirit was great right we're going to take this piece of video chop up the frames and let people own pieces of it kind of a very elegant solution to 
allowing many, many people who are interested to own a single piece of digital media like that. But at the end of the day, it has to work, you know, and like, that's kind of a fail, you know, and it's really unfortunate. It's really unfortunate. It's like people like me, people that we know who were planning to come in and just like play with, pay with credit card and, and do this and couldn't. It's like, maybe, maybe it's working now, but like, to be honest, like I'm kind of just like the inertia is gone, you know, like I was like really into it in the moment. And I wonder if that's what happened to a lot of people. Cause I was also expecting this to mint out fairly quickly considering the magnitude of the artist and the hype behind it. And also the accessible price point. It's not like it was like crazy expensive. Yeah. I mean, I think this is something where time will tell. Obviously Marina Abramovich is a million times bigger than any artist that we have on FX hash. Sorry to the artists on FX hash. But I mean, I think it was just the point of sale system didn't really work out, which sucks because it's bringing attention to the wrong thing. Whereas really it's like a really great and meaningful piece just by the fact that it's a big figure who's big in the performance art space, who is advocating for our world a little bit more. And also the revenue from it is going to grants for artists, which is a very noble cause. It's not just a a cash grab. Yeah, that's a really cool detail. It's there to really help continue to grow the space. So, you know, we'll keep an eye on it, I guess. You know, maybe it's something where I'll I'll come back to it because I know that my wife in particular was excited about owning one of these and it just wasn't working out in the day. So maybe I'll go buy some Tez and, and get one. But, you know, I kind of do feel like there's a bit of a parallel here to something that we talk about a lot, which is like artists announcing first and working out the details later. <laughs> and this is like very much that same thing of like, why was there a date announced for this if the system wasn't ready to do it? You know, like it should kind of go the other way, like the website, the platform, the payment rails, everything should be established and tested and confirmed working first. And then the announcement should happen and then the hype should be built. So that way it can all execute. And uh, I don't know. I just don't know why, like what's, what's the rush to announce a date if things aren't ready to be announced. And this is another case of it. Like I would say like based off of the way that it, it was rolled out. I mean, it seems like it's more complex, you know, it's not just, you know, you're getting one of 6,500, it is a whole series of frames of which you get something. So it's like a series of 6,500 in which there are N in there. It's much more complex than either either like something that you're minting, minting generatively or just like an addition to piece, right? Right. But do you, so, do you think that's what happened here? Or do you think it was just that they just didn't like actually get their payment system figured out? And Because this was de- delayed by a day too, right? Like the pre-sale yeah. was supposed to happen the day before and it was supposed to be 24 hours and they kicked it to the next day and the pre-sale ended up being only like effectively one hour before they opened it to the public. So this is not on Marina. It's not on the artist at all. It's more just like, I just don't know why this keeps happening. <laughs> like just make sure it works, figure out what your plan is and then announce it. Let's just do it in that order. So that way there's not these surprises and not these like disappointments for people who like, I get it. You should like, this is the type of piece where probably a lot of people who are not crypto native or even crypto associated would want to have an opportunity to participate and buy. So you want to have this credit card, like this fiat on ramp, but it's a complex thing. It's difficult and you got to make sure it's going to work if you're going to advertise it. But kudos to them for trying to do this. Like I know that even Coinbase, right, is only now getting MasterCard payments. We're not sponsored by MasterCard. Credit card payments. Yeah. you know, up on running on their NFT platform and they are kind of a financial services institution. 
uh, that is directly dealing with payment rails. Yeah. It's it's not like uh, I I think I think the spirit of the comment is not like I mean it's yeah. huge. I think it's huge for Tezos. I think it's huge for NFTs. It's super exciting. I think because it's so big, because it's so exciting, it merited going a little slower and making sure that everything actually worked. Because like, like you said, it's just like it's a bummer. It's a bummer when everyone's waiting and then you can't pay the way you were expecting to pay. Yeah. And I think that's probably also prevented some of the primary sales from people who would be onboarding into Tez for the first time or not even onboarding into Tez, but creating a wallet. Yeah. And just like owning their first piece of crypto, anything probably. Yeah. But, you know, it's cool. It's a cool project. Love the artist. Um, Let's move on because you had a fun little side project this week that is really indicative of you. Spending time looking at FX Ash. Yeah, yeah. This was a this was it, it maybe seems like it was more work than it was. I mean, if we had better tools, this would have been a lot less work. And so I ch- basically took a crack at doing some amateur analysis of the FX hash market in USD terms, not in Tesos terms. And so you know, we always So talk why about, USD? Here here's why. So we've had a lot of prices going up in terms of Tezos, a lot of pieces moving you know, multiples, but Tezos of course has gone down along with the rest of the market. And I've had a few kind of conversations within both discords, you know, tender and price discussion. So we know that a lot of these projects are up, but do we know from the start of the year effectively can, if we factor in the price of Tez, like are they actually up or are they just up in Tezos? And because we kind of denominate everything in Tezos here, is there a little bit of like a phantom effect of how much everything is actually up? And I I was kind of building this little suspicion in my head of maybe like a lot more projects are actually underwater or down than we think. And because Tezos has gotten so cheap, even though some prices have doubled or tripled, like maybe we're, they're actually still net down for the year, right? And so I, I wanted to just kind of test this hypothesis and see what the texture, looking only at top projects, right? I didn't go deep. I didn't go much outside of like the top 10, 15, you know, however you might define them. And it was a pretty interesting experiment. One, because it's very hard to look at the FX hash chart, which it like kind of arbitrarily picks its dates. And you know, you have to kind of guess. So I chose arbitrarily to start with January 1 and then look at an approximation of Feb 1, March 1, April 1, et cetera. Um, I did take July 26 as my final date, since we're not recording in August as of this time. I recorded the price of the projects in Tezos and then checked the historical price of Tezos on that day and created a USD price. So to kind of give you a bigger picture here, so from January 1st, the price of Tezos was $4.74 USD. As of July 26th, it was $1.51. So it's up as of today, which is the 29th, it's up to $1.70. So these numbers obviously fudge a little bit, but we're just going to go off of what I had. Year to date, that puts us down 68% in Tezos. So then the question is, if you had taken your Tezos and put them into some of these NFT projects, are you doing better or worse than just holding Tezos? And if you're doing worse, that I think speaks to maybe the relative weakness of the market, but if you're doing better, it speaks to the strength. And the answer is is a little bit mixed, but overall it's very positive. So to pull out a few insights here, and again, these are all approximations and they are not going to be exact, exact, but I think the general overview here is is very close to being accurate. For projects that you purchased back in January, 
you would need them to be up approximately 210% in Tezos terms for you to be break even in USD. And what I found, of course, was that some projects are up in Tez, but down in USD. So for example, if you bought a Contrapuntos back in January, January 1, that project is up 200% in Tez, but it is equivalently down 4.25% in USD. Now that's still outperforming Tezos, which is down 68%, but it's still a loss, right? If you had bought then, it's just less of a loss, which, which matters when you're trying to ride through a bear market, right? Like less of a loss is a gain. And another interesting one would be RGB, which is up 105% since January, but the equivalent is down 35% in USD. So like, obviously, if you had bought in different times throughout the season, those numbers change. Like the best time to have bought would have been a little bit after January in that February, March lull. Prices actually in general were even lower than in January. So there was more opportunity there. If you bought in May when prices were more heated, you're probably doing worse. Although it's a little hard to say because in May, the price of Tez is already half of that in January. So I didn't quite do that adjustment, but yeah, I don't know. I, I can I can keep going here, but Trinity, I, I know you, you looked at this a little bit. Did you have any impressions of this before I kind of keep going or do you want me to just kind of keep running? No, the, I the think it's here? actually pretty interesting to kind of see that out of the ones that you looked at, there aren't that many that are underwater in comparison to the price of Tez. Yeah, that was actually the most impressive thing to me. It was like, I was expecting to see a lot more losers and there are right when you see red and you're like oh like contra's down that's crazy but it's less down right and that's mm-hmm. the important takeaway here and almost all of these that are down are actually ones that are from like their og projects you know these right. are ones that were listed or, or, or minted out before i came and so it would they were from the first three weeks of the platform the thing was like to do like really bespoke data and go back to the beginning of each project and try to do it that way. It was just a little too burdensome. Mm-hmm. And so like the way I chose to do it is incredibly flawed. Arbitrarily picking January 1, arbitrarily picking the first of each month as intervals. Yeah, but you have it's to do It's very something. flawed. There's a lot of ways to do this, but you kind of just have to pick, right? And I think we still yeah. get a holistic overview of what's going on. And I think it's it also just cuts out a ton of projects that are uh, in newer I did look at a couple newer ones. Yeah, actually, I saw fragments but, of a wave. on Unha- Well, uninhabitable isn't new anymore. No, no. Hollow. So the newer ones I looked at were like Hollow, which came out in the uh, month of April. Mm-hmm. And it's actually doing comparatively well because people who minted then got in at a lower price. So, or, or bought then like the price of Tezos was between 391 and 258. So Tezos was on the way down as that project was released versus being up close to $5 like it was back in January. So, mm-hmm. And I think that probably the closest analog that you have in here would be Fragments of a Wave, which came out in also April. It came out in, in March. Yeah, it in came March. out sometime okay. in March. And then the, the first price I recorded was April 1. So Fragments is interesting, again, because a little bit because of the timing, because Tezos was still close to $4. It's one that's up in Tezos terms, but down in dollar terms, but still outperforming the price of Tez. You know, the big winners are Dragons. So Dragons is up 1,251% in mm-hmm. Tezos terms, which is 330% in USD terms. So that's crazy good. And that's largely due to that giant run that we had in June, I believe. And then like the the run that we've had most recently over the last... Yeah. Between in the, July, I would say, bringing in the July floor back itself, up. In July itself, the floor has gone up an incredible amount. So it, it's really benefiting from... I guess a little bit of recent action there. 
if you look at it the way I did from January one on only, it's outperforming Garden Monoliths because Garden Monoliths was already close to four thousand Tez in January. So yeah. even though it's moved phenomenally, like right now the floor is close to twenty thousand, that's still only only quote unquote like about four hundred percent up. And are you calculating based off of most recent sales or on floor? Floors. Floors okay. only. I just, again, another arbitrary choice that you could easily nitpick and, and go back and do this yourself and find another way to do it. But it's just an easy easy data point to capture, right? And that's just what I yeah. chose. Even though Dragon did really well, it was not the most performative of the projects I checked. The most performative was actually Small Skulls, which was up 1,395%, so 1,400% which is three, uh, 375% in USD. So small skulls just edges out dragons from the start of the year in performance. And there were some, you know, not, not to drag on these projects, but there were some like really interesting notable losers as well. And they tended to actually be older projects, which was interesting to me. Yeah. Maybe because they were coming off of like games that they made in December going into January when Tez was still expensive. You know, a lot of it probably has to do again with the arbitrary mm-hmm. intervals chosen. But like Loom, for example, which even has had its bit of a bull run the last couple months, is down. It's down eight, uh, 8.89% in Whoa. TES terms from January, which is a 71% loss in USD mm-hmm. since January. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the, the other big thing about these early November projects is because they are so tightly held, uh, even if they're larger additions. The prices, the floors are just higher and they are also just so much more liquid. Right. Because because they're established, right? They suffer from lack of volume. They stay static. And because Tez has gone down, they kind of go down with Tez, right? Correct. Because they're not and trading hands. Small Skulls is a really big difference because even though it's project number four, famously, um, there are still 2,000 of them. And so yeah. it's kind of like um, like trading fodder for a lot of people who are able to mint several early. Because uh, they were able to mint so many. Right. Some people are sitting on so many that it's just like, I'll just sell a small skull, I'll floor it, I'll accept an offer. We've seen a ton of them actually going on offer in the last week. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it was just an f- interesting project. I mean, so an example of, of a project that's from the early days that's been very tightly held and flat and low volume and also has very few additions at like waiting in Afton. We, we don't see them move very much. I mean, the floor fluctuates, but it's not really often because of necessarily sales. It's more just because people list or delist them, right? And just the relative absence of action and waiting in Afton has caused it to go down more or less in parity with Tez. So um, it's down 72% on the year in USD terms, which is just a tad bit, I mean, probably statistically insignificant, but a tad bit worse. I mean, it's also one of the least liquid projects on here. The last sale was two months ago. The sale before that was six months ago. Um, It essentially hasn't made a sale. Yeah, it basically has made two sales since um, December. Since December, yeah. And like similarly, Hyperdraft, another old project, but from a big artist, is down, you know, over 80%, like just on the year because it's just not often traded. It hasn't had a big moment. And it's just kind of chilling with Tezos and that's it. So I guess like the overall impression from doing this was like if you are holding a basket of blue chips in general, you're probably doing better than just holding Tez. Like unless you're allocated entirely to like Loom and Defrag and reading a book, (laughs) 
and some of the projects that have done a little bit worse. But well, I guess the other takeaway is like you need to be up about 200% on a project. And there's a ton of like cheaper speculative projects that have easily done 2x, right? Like a ton of 2TES, 5TES projects that have done, you know, gone to 20, 30, 50 TES, 100 TES. So it kind of makes me feel like there's a ton of projects out there where if you had just spread your TES around minting or buying early on the secondary, you've probably well outperformed just holding Tezos and are doing pretty well in the bear market, just just holding generative art in general. I mean, obviously, you know, it has to do with, you know, how liquid are those pieces to a certain extent. Yeah, of and course. And I think also to there is that risk factor involved, right? Like if you are able to mint, let's say like a defrag, it's down 55% in Tez and 85% down in dollars. Like obviously if you had, you know, known to sell your defrag and then cash out into USD, you would be up or you would be less down, but you can't predict that. I, I think right. it's easier to get in, especially if you minted it, rather than take the risk of trying to time the market and arbitrage things. Yeah. So I don't think it's anything that holders need to feel bad about. It's just like kind of an interesting exercise. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the question is, do these projects that are currently really undervalued in dollar terms, do we view them as opportunities? Do we view them as like bargains? Or do we kind of take this data and start to kind of reevaluate and reshuffle some of the ideas of like what's a blue chip slash grail and what's not. This is like purely, purely huge not financial advice because so much about the way this was done was like very haphazard and arbitrary. It's just one particular way to take one particular snapshot of the market that you could find so many flaws with and do so many different ways and get way more granular if you want. If you knew how to like get into the API and actually pull the data more discreetly than I know how to do, I'm sure you can come up with a much better analysis than this. So really the idea of talking about this was just kind of present more holistically a general view that just seems to be like in the year 2022, looking at these projects, looking at the movement of Tezos and looking at the relative strength of the market, it does feel in general like FX hash NFTs are outperforming. Yeah. That's my takeaway. And for the projects that are underperforming, now could be the time to get in, depending on the project. They're quote unquote underperforming partially because of the intervals I chose, but it's undeniable that they're down. And if you're a believer in projects like Hyperdraft or Loom or Defrag, like Sequence, it's a very, very attractive time to get in. So yeah, that's it. Interesting, interesting exercise. It just took me like about two hours, maybe off and on of like just plugging stuff away. I love it. I think it'd be interesting to maybe pick a project every week and just kind of do that that longer term, like how's it doing and performing. Maybe even picking one that we map out over the course of a month, uh, especially some of these bigger projects. I would love to look at some small stuff too. I mean, I think you could, the difficulty there would be like selecting because there's just so many I can think of that minted cheaply and blew up. And then those are just like, obviously they've out outperformed, right? Like they're just trading in a multiple. But if you looked at an arbitrary date, like I did, then you might still see that they blew up and then declined and maybe they declined worse than Tez. I don't know. If anything, I hope it kind of speaks to maybe the hardness of these NFTs, right? Compared yeah. to like the more ethereal quality of a, of a PFP project that might be tied to a product of unknown provenance and viability. Like we have completed projects here. Like these are actual artists making actual art. And it does seem like people are willing to 
allocate funds into these clearly in a way that's like supporting them above the movement of the greater crypto markets. So again, of course, not a financial advice, but that's, that's, that's the personal takeaway I have from all this. That was, I don't know what you would call that. That wasn't quite journalism. That's just, that was just it's amateur journalism. analysis. It's, yeah. <laughs> uh, we just opened up the latest uh, issue of The Economist. Yeah, that's, that's me. Should we talk about recent projects now that we've talked about some old ones though? Should we talk about some of our favorites? Yeah, we have a couple of big ones this week and also some favorites from this week. Um, I think you technically have two favorites, so I'll let you go first. No, no, um, no. I just talked for so long. You're going first. <laughs> all right. Well, my favorite project of the week is Chromatlas Volume 10 by Alexandra. And I really wanted to call this out because, you know, she's had such an amazing run with uh, Chromatlas Volume 1 coming out in early January and then just consistently releasing each of the other nine volumes since then. And so with Volume 10 coming out, it's a really an end of an era. And, you know, we've been seeing these come out consistently since we've been running the show. And, you know, I feel kind of bad that we haven't covered it in much detail as it's been coming out, just because in some respects, uh, it really is just such a incredible series, I think, where it's just so tied together with the styles, the, uh, the color palette. And she, uh, Alexandra had a pretty good Twitter thread just kind of breaking down how she gets this consistency while also having this uh, broad range of variety within each piece. You know, it has to do with eight core colors and then just a couple of very specific transparencies that she uses with them. It's been a labor of love for her for six months. You know, she's also been releasing um, art every single day on Instagram. And so she has such a solid practice behind her. And I just really wanted to call it out for being so amazing. Huge commitment, huge dedication. I remember seeing some months back, I don't know if it's something that she's actually planning to release broadly, but like a Chromatlas book. I mean, I would buy it. It seemed like she was putting together, but this was well before, you know, volume 10, if not nine, eight, and seven. So I'm curious if she's planning to do anything and make a compendium of all of these. And clearly, you know, she's found a theme here that she's incredibly interested in, incredibly devoted to. And, and finding a way to like create a physical artifact that brings it all together would be really fascinating. And, you know, I think at this point, you could collect each of the, the volumes. Uh, the floor price on some have really gone up, specifically volume four and volume five. They're a little bit less accessible. But, you know, I think the other big thing to applaud Alexandra on is the uh, good mint price. You know, all of them have been five Tez super consistent so it's gotten so much cheaper in usd terms over time exactly but it's also interesting to watch it in when they mint out when the, the, these projects open it's like a couple of blocks and it's gone i think volume three is my favorite volume three is really fun i really like volume one too and just everything and you know she even talks about how she's pulled the same colors and the same things into some of her other releases such as uh Obviously, Balenciam, which kind of feels like a chromatless like interlude, but also Herbarium, which was her Art Basel piece for Art Basel Hong Kong. End of an era, 10 volumes down. Thank you, Alexandra. It's been fun. I'll be really interested to see where she goes next. I mean, because prior to this, she'd had Mid-Century Modern, which is like a big breakout piece for her on the platform, I feel mm-hmm. like. And and that kind of triggered some interest in her some of her older projects. And then she's just been like, 
chugging away and getting these out and just really, really pushing the concept. It was, yeah, very cool. And I'm glad you highlighted it. All right. So it's your turn. My turn. All right. So I think this is the second or third week in a row, but my favorite this week was another drop from Flynn's, a relatively new artist on the platform. We still don't know very much about them. And they released a piece called Fargile this week. It was 256 editions, just one testament, not a Dutch auction. This is the piece that really seemed to have triggered Flynn's season on FX Hash. They were getting some action, I feel like the last week or two, off of the drop Lind, which we highlighted an episode or two back. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, Gwent came out in between. It was a smaller edition, only 160. You know, you talked about how you'd been tracking them from even their earlier days. Kari was so good. And Mira and, and also. Kari had a bunch of action this week, you know. So, uh, so a lot of their back catalog was getting bought up this week on the secondary. But it seems like Fargile has really, um, really broken through, probably largely in part because Iskra tweeted about it and called it out as her current personal favorite drop on the platform. So I have to imagine that that endorsement goes a long way. But yeah, this this is one that came out like overnight. I think Flynn's is in Europe, dropped it while we were sleeping. And I woke up and I just was like, oh my God, this is a very cool piece. I love the pen aesthetic. I love the scribbly nature of it, but it still feels very structured. And you can kind of see why this might be a piece that Iskra herself likes. Like it's not at all constructed in the same way as Uninhabitable, but it does have like a very, very similar vibe in a way from what it's kind of doing there's a lot of like gestalt to this right you kind of like see in it what you want to see and sometimes you see buildings sometimes you see a dock sometimes you just see a mess it's you know you've been tracking flins for longer than i have what do you what was your feel on this piece you know comparing it to the other flins work it's such an interesting segue from what they've done in the past. You know, it's still very structural, which is something that I think we talked about with Lind, especially like being something that was almost a mountain or a valley. You can kind of read into it, but it's not like distinctly a landscape. And I think that there's this, such this strong through line of structures in most of their work, with the exception of like Syria and Delta. It's a different direction, which I like. I was looking at it while you were talking and it makes me think of uh, Flynn's trajectory really makes me think of that of uh, Oxma or zero XM four. you know, they had the, like the deconstruction fracture libre series of drops, which are also like very textured, somewhat abstract and really building on each other. There's a reminiscence there in the trajectory of each, each artist where the more that they're releasing, you know, it's just getting picked up more and more and more and like, they're kind of growing on their own style while also speaking to it, if that makes sense. Definitely there is like, I feel just even from these last few weeks of drops, like a style that is Flynn's, like if you showed me a piece, I feel like I could say if it was them or not at this point, just like there's something about their work that feels identifiable and consistent, which is awesome. I mean, I just think that's like similar to other artists that we've really praised in the past, right? Like 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 Landlines or Lisa Orth, where it's like kind of like, mm-hmm. You can tell us them. There's something about it that you can tell. This particular piece, I love the industrial nature of it. It just feels like it has a dystopic vibe that I really, really like. (laughs) Um, It kind of reminds me of the type of thing that you might see projected at a Godspeed You Black Emperor show. 
you know, there's just this very like dystopic feel to it. I don't know what else to say. You kind of just got to look at them. Like the one that I have, I didn't mint any. I had to pick them all up on the secondary. They were, because they were only one Tez, like they were all gone while we were sleeping. But the personal favorite that I picked up was number 67. It just has some structures that feel very building-like, but then it also just has some amazing like vertical lines that come up and kind of abstract the whole scene. And Mm -hmm. of course, like the thickness and density of the kind of ground layer just adds even, even more to the severity of the scene. I don't know. It's just, I don't, it's just great. I could definitely see this being just kind of sketched out the ballpoint pen by somebody who's sitting on the other side of the river. You know what I mean? And they, this is their practice is they go out every day, they get their coffee, they get their bagel, they sit on a bench and then they just they draw what they see and then they go to work. Yeah. It has a very like primal vibe to it in that sense too, right? Mm-hmm. Especially the way sometimes the lines get very, very thick and overlapped and form these bases. And yeah, it's, it's, it's very cool. Um, you know, I, we're getting to the point where maybe we're, I'd like to see a little break from Flynn's. Like I know there's another piece coming. They tweeted and you can sign up for a reserve on their website. Kind of hoping that we don't start seeing a Flynn's every three days, you know, and getting, getting too much of a good thing. But so far I'm not, I'm not there yet. It's the last few drops have all been really great. And but slowing it down wouldn't be, too, wouldn't be a bad thing. So that's Flynn's Fargile. That's my favorite drop of the week. And the other thing to mention this week was that Lisa Orth uh, released a t-shirt <laughs> generative t-shirt zero one through her website and uh it's a very very cool design it's it's kind of a classic fx hash style piece and and they carried extra large which means i could order one so amazing i went ahead and did yeah you love it when it works out i still have to order mine so um i'll have to get on that before this episode drops yeah exactly actually so I will definitely tweet about this. We've already retweeted it once, but by the time this episode comes out, it'll be the last day to order them. So look in the show notes for the link. Hopefully it'll still be active, but pre-sales end on July 31st. If you like the design, go ahead and grab one, support Lisa and get a cool t-shirt. hate ordering clothes because I feel so anxious about getting the size right. I'll just check all the t-shirts I have. Yeah. If only you were married to someone who could tailor your (laughs) clothing to fit you better. I mean, Claire did say that she would tailor things for me and me alone. If there's any way that you want to alienate somebody who went to fashion schools, ask them to hem your pants. Yeah. (laughs) It's the privileges of marriage, I guess. No, bitch. No. (laughs) Okay. But uh, we'll wear them to the next FX hash meetup. For sure. For sure. Yeah. These will be really fun keepsakes from this era of FX hash. Also, Go Lisa for hustling and releasing merch. Yeah. Well, she's got other stuff on her website. I didn't even realize this is the first time I had seen her advertise it on social media, but I think this is her first like code based art related thing. Mm -hmm. Everything else is from other parts of her career. So yeah, they look like, they look like tattoo designs. The many lies of Lisa Orth. Well with, should we check out some of the many drops of the week then before we conclude this episode? Do you want to start with what you have highlighted or should we start from the top? No, let's start from the top. All right. So the first drop that we have highlighted here is Corium by Pasta Boy, uh, a 299 edition project for the Dutch auction. And it was three tiers, 175 and 50, and it sold out at 75. Which is breaking the trend a little bit. 
It is. It, We've seen a lot of these just go to the bottom kind of automatically. Yeah. But, you know, Apostle Boy has released a couple of big projects that ran right before Corium came out. So, I mean, Flash has been, you know, pretty high floor forever, like literally forever. It's just never mm-hmm. gone below, I don't know, 100. It's, and it's then Sky Floors right now. So. Yeah. And Sky Floors and Planet Panels, they both had a really decent run up. Um, you know, the floors on Sky Floors, oh, the Sky Floor floor <laughs> is 34. So, Damn. you know, I think it has risen quite a bit because we gave away a Sky Floor, right? For our first Twitter giveaway. I think it was two tests. Yeah, it was someone picked it back when we had that like uh, mm-hmm. sort of contest of like most undervalued piece. I forget who it was, but they we picked them as a runner up. Yeah. Yep. And so that's pretty good ROI. Yeah, for sure. And like, I think sadly it is, and kind of unexpectedly, it is below mint. It's currently sitting at 68.98 Tez floor, which, come on, people, just round up. Um, <laughs> Very nice. And it's kind of surprising. What do you think? I missed Flash and I kind of checked out on it because it minted and it just got to too high of a floor. I always thought it was a cool project. And I, I appreciated like the work they've released outside of FX hash. I was expecting this one to go a lot higher, like maybe even mint out the top tier and kind of perform really well. But I guess it's just the market dynamics right now. I mean, and I guess unsurprisingly, whenever you see a floor that's under mint, you have to go, well, how many are listed and how heavily targeted was it? And I mean, there's 101 still listed for sale, which is mm-hmm. a full third. And only 53 sales, so yeah. 50% turnover, which actually means that 50% are in holders' hands, I guess, theoretically. Holders are people who just see it under mint and haven't bothered to list it yet. Yeah. That, that's a very pessimistic view. But, you know, the story around this is really cool. You know, I, I think that it the piece suffers a little bit maybe from people, quote unquote, not liking the variations. But, like, if you read the project description, it's really just talking about this cool sci-fi world that's taking place in another solar system. And it's about the plight of a crew of a ship that are, I don't know, checking space readings on a planet called Corium. And so it's written kind of like a space log, um, which is very sci-fi and old school. Mm-hmm. Um, not that that has much to do with the piece itself, but you know, it's part of it, right? And it's telling the story of what to be looking for. I, I like this story. I like the piece. I missed it. I like the piece. I, I mean, I was here for when it minted. I just didn't have the Tez handy to play at these levels on it. Mm-hmm. Again, not having the confidence of like, if I was able to mint them, would I be able to mint two, flip one? Because like, that's how low I am on Tez. Like I, if I'm minting something, I'm either minting it to flip or I'm minting it to hold. And I wasn't really sure where I sat on this one. I like some of the different colors, you know, especially like the oranges and the reds and the yellows. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, just looking at the thumbnails, maybe that's the issue is that some of them can read samey and maybe that's what's keeping it down. Or maybe it's just honestly just the climate right now in FX Ash. It's really tough. It feels like Dutch auctions because as we, as we move on to some of the other projects, like it feels like Dutch auctions are really being punished right now. And if, if you want your project to have a lot of secondary action. If you're looking to take as much on the primary as you can, Dutch auctions are still great. 
you know, that was the conversation from last week where it's, but it's, you know, about that, that marketing factor, I guess, for how well do you think people think it'll perform, which as an artist, you don't have to care about. And Pasta Boy has had success, right? Like they've kind of already done that marketing. They've kind of built themselves. So they shouldn't need to come in low and try to get the secondary going to kind of prove themselves like they've already done that. So there are some very interesting variations in here. Maybe it could have been helped by tuning some of those to appear more often, but it's really hard to say. That's the the problem with all of these. You only get to do it once and you never really know exactly why or why not. But at the end of the day, it minted out. It didn't mint out a bottom tier. By every metric, the artist probably regards it's succeeding. And it's not like it's massively under mint. So I think it's overall like a success story. I agree. I think they're pretty nice. And I think that we'll see some stuff move, you know, especially as Pasta Boy like releases even more. And I like yeah. that there's that kind of through line of, I know some people might be like, oh, you're just doing more isometric cities, blah, 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 blah. But it's a cool vibe and a cool aesthetic that works. And Corium takes it a little bit dark and edgy. Once again, for my like heavy metal uh, grail grid, that is going to be forever in progress. I think I actually like the aesthetic of these more than Flash. I like some flash more. I like, there's one flash that I just absolutely love. It's insane how much I love it. Number 66. So good. I really do like the dark aesthetic. I like the density. I like the vibe. You know, if I had had a chance, you know, if this had been like an earlier drop and it was minting at like five tests, 10 tests, and it was like, who's possible? Like I definitely would have been minting the hell out of this, right? Just as like an unknown quantity, thinking it was super cool. Well, you can still get uh, Corium Prototype Zero uh, on Versum. It's an addition piece. It's a prototype. I I think it was a part of the Test for Tez a couple of months ago. So I picked one or two up and very cool. And, you know, you really start to see like the aesthetic as it was back then. And also uh, on Versum, they have some of the prototypes for plasticity. Very cool as well. Well, should we move on to the... The remaining drops that we have talked about this week, very interestingly, and not intentional, after our conversation last week about Dutch auctions, but the remainder are all projects that were released just as a flat mint price with no Dutch auction. And coincidentally, they're all doing rather well in the secondary, which is kind of interesting. Again, not planned. Obviously, we could not coordinate that with these artists the week after we had that discussion, but... It is kind of interesting to see it manifest in that way. Yeah, absolutely. I guess we might as well start with the next one kind of chronologically, which is Gerhard, which is a collaboration between Leander Herzog and Richard Nadler. I wasn't really familiar with Richard prior because they have a lot of work off of the FX hash platform, but it was 500 editions at 40 Tez. More than half of them were reserved to holders of other Leander Herzog work. I did not game my wallets out, unfortunately. I, sh- it, you know, I actually thought about. For it. shame! I, spread, I know. I, I thought about it. Should I spread my work around? But again, I'm just. I was low on Tez. And I was like, I really. It would have paid off, right? Because they minted at a flat forty Tez. They're now trading at 150 floor, so they're they're doing extremely well. And um, yeah, I mean, how do you describe these pieces? That it's a bit of a interesting turn from Leander whose work has been largely chunky black and white kind of aggressive and not as harmonious maybe as as this piece can be I guess yeah. is, is maybe the term I'm looking for 
but this is like a piece that's a lot closer to say like a Toxie or a Kim Asendorf. It's like animated, yeah, absolutely. it flows, it shifts, it slithers along and, and changes colors. And and also it like animates. Yeah. Every time you click on it for people, I mean, I guess everybody who has one knows it. Like it just keeps on adding more and more layers of glitchy animated noise. It's technically in here as image composition, but I'm not entirely sure if it is image composition. It's I'm kind of surprised it it is it is uh, in in the same way that actually I think a lot of pieces are secretly image composition. So, the second paragraph of the description says that Richard Nadler created created the textures to control composition and color. And I think you can even find some of their work that kind of shows the underlying geography of what's going there on. There are two images in here. <laughs> I guess it just kind of uses them as a base, a basis for the code to play off of, right? So it's in the same way that like Avona's work is very technically image composition, and and this actually opened up some interesting discussion about some projects from the past before there was this image composition label that probably a lot of people don't know are image composition, which is like because they do a similar thing, like they use a lot of code, but then they use a pre-rendered image to maybe create texture or create some effect that because it doesn't look like a typical profile a picture project it doesn't immediately read its image composition but it still technically is and it shows the limitations of the label it doesn't just mean pfp it's it just means use of a pre-rendered image on this one in particular like i it just feels so borderline you know and i get why you have to say it could be image comp or why it is image composition but like so what's the cutoff really? Like if you have something that's fully like generative and then you have like a PNG like signature like that shows up randomly on the piece, like actually Che Yu Wu, you know, has a signature on all of the pieces, that image composition, there's an image in there. Do we know that that's actually a PNG though? I don't know. It could be like I don't know. That he but if it were a PNG, hypothetically speaking. Hypothetically, I'm not opening up a soulfish right now, sorry. I think it's an interesting aspect to this it clearly has not impacted the reception to the work most people gloss over the, that tag anyways and they just see this very very cool yeah. animated colorful piece i guess i feel like i was not exposed to this because the sales feed that i look at which is the tender sales feed does not include image composition and so i have not even seen any of the sales of these come through yeah i did not realize it was being excluded either i think on the fx hash sales feed they, they do allow like image composition that's not a PFP into the regular sales feed. So yeah, I wasn't really tracking this. So I'm a little surprised because it was 500 editions. I kind of thought that this would just kind of be a bargain piece for a while. Um, just considering how many it was and the starting price and like, you know, Lander's work does well, but it's not like he's got a bunch of work that's at like, you know, the floor is like 300, 400, 500 or anything like that. So yeah, amazing piece. Um, I minted my one. I'm super happy with it. And it, it does for the most part feel like a piece where owning one's great. You know, like you can, you can go through and find ones that you really, really love, but I'm just feel super happy with mine. You know, I don't really feel the need to seek out and get like a dozen of them or anything like that. But you could, some of them are really, really cool. I like the ones that are more rainbowy. I have to say. Yeah. But maybe you just keep clicking until you get the rainbows. I don't know. You know, but they're still the baseline. I mean, I like mine. I got, it got, I've been rolling nothing but pink projects lately. It's really weird. I got a very nice pink one of these. It's like been manifesting that since I did my pink grail grid because I got three hyperspacers, pink one of this, 
pink bound, which we'll talk about later. It's it's uncanny. It's manifestation. But I think the market analysis on this, <laughs> just completely changed the topic, is interesting as well because there's only, uh, I mean, it's 10% listed, which is incredibly wow. low. Yeah. I mean, it kind of goes to show what happens when you give 370 reserves to your holders. Yeah, people are holding them, which is really interesting, right? I mean, it has had 174 sales, so that's 50% of the reserves almost have sold or over 50% have sold. And I mean, I guess also a lot of, even though a lot of Leander's work doesn't have insanely high floors, like for example, very large array. But that's grown so much. It's up to 169. And you bought yours when they were like 10, I think. In, in the 10 to 20 range, yeah. Uh, but yeah, only 15 and out of 256 listed. So that's under, that's approaching 5%. Returns is the same. It's at uh, 5% listed. Aglo, it's under, under 10. 10%. And these all have really healthy floors. I think the cheap, the lowest floor is about 70. Again, yeah. it's that the rounding up to a 69 test. And Aglo is a very cool one, even, even though it's pretty accessible. It's like that is a piece where, again, the thumbnail doesn't really tell you the whole picture. And that's also one that was heavily reserved. I think it was. It also was very slow to mint. I ended up being able to mint like four of them. And they just no one was, was buying them. They were only 16 tests. And I think people were put off by the thumbnail or didn't investigate it, but. Leander's long been a subject of this podcast as like an artist to watch out for and try to strategically collect. And maybe it's getting past the point now where you can get in cheap, but. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah. Like all of his stuff is just so cool. I um, love it. Yeah. So good. All right. So should we move on to one that caught us both off guard <laughs> that we're not yeah, exactly oh. really prepared to talk about, but we kind of have to mention. <laughs> yeah. We, we were, um, you know, just chatting before we started recording and it was like, we were either too big brained or not big brained enough in order to have really caught on to this piece before uh, everybody else did. But it's the word after us in AI poetry unreading, which is a collaboration between Sasha Stiles and Nathaniel Stern. It was a very reasonable 500 additions to Tez. And now it is a very reasonable 45 Tez floor. It's a generative poetry piece. It seems like there's an AI element here. You were mentioning that Sasha was in a... Um, or will be in a Twitter spaces. Uh, upcoming with like Zancan and, and some other artists. So clearly someone who's n known to folks outside of FX Hash. You know, we did not do our journalism on this one. <laughs> but yeah, it, it just looks like she does a lot of stuff and, and here collaborated to bring a piece to FX Hash, which is... Awesome. We'd love to see a lot of new artists entering the platform. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you're similar to me here where you saw a lot of these going through the sales feed at like four tests, five tests, six tests. And you're just kind of like, that's nice. People are buying their words. And then all of a sudden it was like 500 tests. You know, someone went yeah. in and bought one for really high and they just kept creeping up and creeping up. And for a 500 edition piece, it's now down to 80 for sale. So getting close to that 10% mark, the floor is creeping up. It's kind of interesting that this kind of experimental word-driven piece caught on with the public here. And perhaps it was that accessible price point and like not making it a Dutch auction and just letting it rip for cheap, like allowed it to really take off this way. It's definitely like cool and just kind of seeing, I think like the generated poetry, you know, as a medium that we don't typically see. We've seen some word-based projects in the past. I don't know if anything quite like this. And then obviously like the art, which is 
from you know Nathaniel Stern, who's the other artist, you know, from their scanner art, which is pretty cool as well. You know, we haven't really checked out much of what they've done. They just had uh, one project in the past, which looks like his audio visual project. Weirdly, um, like it got burned. I don't know if it was before the beta or before the end of beta. Oh no. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll cut that. Maybe the closest comp to this one would kind of be Cosmic Type from a week or so ago, right? With Mark Webster, like not an explicitly generative poetry piece, but a piece that incorporates like poetic words and and is playing on, like I guess like structure of poem and in in, it, in its use of ASCII art. But this is like really delivering the words, like centering the words, whereas the whereas Cosmic Type is almost kind of obscuring them and making you find them. Right? There's yeah. there's that difference there. I mean, we have had a number of like generative poetry projects on the platform, most notably the Managed Miles by Wiley Guys, which is the one that's coming up. There's part one, part two, and part three of that. And there have been some other ones in the past. I have uh, another philosophical question to you, Will. We can't answer this now. We got to move on because we're already over an hour deep. <laughs> okay. This. And I don't have a good, I don't think I have a satisfying answer to it, but we should come back to it for sure. But we, we should talk about the last two drops that we have left, both of which also, again, like outperformed as just flat fee mints. So Tender released their first official, official collab in a while. Their last few drops were not like full on Tender branded collabs. They were just like little associated releases but we have Bound, which is a collab between David Bryce Allen and Tender. And David Bryce Allen, as far as I understand, hadn't made any generative art NFTs before. This was kind of an artist who's new to the platform, new to the space. So it was interesting that Tender found them and worked with them to bring this drop over. Bound is a super cool take on generative rope and knots. Kind of reminds me a little bit of... Well, before I say what it reminds me of, I guess I'm curious. I'm assuming you minted one. I'm wondering what you think of Eternity. I did mint it. And right now I'm just staring at them all to see if the knots are the same or if they're minted differently. So I'm trying to turn my head in various directions. I think there's some variation to them. I see some knots. If you look at some of the ones that at least are rendered horizontally versus vertically, I see a bit of a, a change in the structure. But mm-hmm. And there are mirror images of some. It does seem like... A lot of the structure, especially on the larger, more solo knots, looks similar. Yeah, it seems like something that War Kislev would probably undertake. Oh, totally, yeah. I think as you look at them more and more, you get the appreciation of like some of like the different variations that there are. Obviously, you see some like not repetition, but you can see some patterns. It's like with the background hatch, where it's really aesthetically pleasing. Like I think that David Bryce Allen did an excellent job. And I also enjoy like the different zoomed in and zoomed out versions. Mm-hmm. So I have one that's like not all the way zoomed in. I think I have one that's like the middle tier. It's obviously pink and it's just a rope, not a knot. And I like the, I think aesthetically like the different types of rope actually is almost more astounding than the different types of knot. Right. There's, there's good variation in texture. Like I think the focus is, even though it is a piece that's about, knots the focus is not on the knot itself it's on the complete image so i i do really love the color palettes chosen here i love the texture i love the choice to zoom in super close and like show 
like not even the complete knot, but like just zoomed in like right in the the middle of the folds and like really emphasized that texture. And I I like the choice to just like run it out as a six tez piece as a first drop on the platform, and you know not go through the agony of like a Dutch auction and seeing what happens. And and as a result, you know the floor. I mean, we saw the the floor is coming down a little bit, but the floor at one point was like well over thirty. It's down to 24 now, but like that's an amazing success for our first drop on the platform. Exactly. I feel like this ties into our <laughs> conversation last week. Not pun intended there. Yeah. And I think especially with this being like the generative genesis for um, David Bryce Allen. And, you know, it's really about creating something that's accessible that gets your name out there. Mm-hmm. You know, I can really, really like see that playing out here. And also a lot of them were reserves. 50% were reserves for tender pass holders. And, you know, that really hasn't hurt the price action at all. But I guess it wouldn't because, it, again, it isn't a DA. People aren't waiting for things to get down to a lower price tier. Everyone got the same price. So there's none of that weird competition. I saw some people comparing this to cuts kind of in this mm-hmm. like very minimal aesthetic, a piece that is maybe about personal relationships and troubles in, in an abstracted way. I also found it to be kind of similar to Entanglement from Jerez mm-hmm. in a good way, not in a like a copycat kind of way. Yeah. But, you know, two drops that I really liked, like I feel like those are good comparisons that you want to invite <laughs> when you're bringing work to the platform. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It'll be interesting to see what they have coming out in the future. You know, based off of this, you know, I think that, It'll be cool to see what else there is. So that's an artist look out for, David Bryce Allen. We should, I know we're already going long. It always happens. We should move on to our last drop. If it weren't for this one, Gerhard would be the big one for the week. But this is definitely the big one of the week. And Unexpected. Unexpected and, and serendipitous because we also talked about I, Ryan Bell specifically in our conversation last week about... That's why what, he released what is he it. Gonna do? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh. What is he going to do to follow up all of his work that he just put out for five Tez? Is he going to do a Dutch auction? And the answer was no. He's just going to 10x his price. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, order of magnitude. We're going to 50 Tez with introspection here from I, Ryan Bell. It was 150 editions. It was a gas war. For me, uncharacteristically, I did try to go for this with gas. I went for, with 15 and I missed. Oh, so ouch. I just burned 15 Tez here. Let's see. Uh, well, number one is always uh, a good indicator. It's an indicator of gas. Number one was got with 50 gas, but I think the uh, you had to go at least 25 in order to get one. Like 150 yeah, so editions is just, it's so small. It's so tight, you know, especially when his other pieces, they are all, you know, 500 edition plus. And flipping through, I was seeing a lot of variation here. I was a little surprised at only 150. I guess there is kind of like one style here. I'm not exactly sure which trait this is, but there is like kind of one particular style that emerges that's just kind of like a square that's cut up and full of shapes in kind of a monocolored. Isn't that all of them? They're squares that are cut up into shapes. Look at number seven, look at number eight, look at number nine, 12, 13, mm. 15, four. Like there's kind of this family that if maybe if he went higher in quantity, there'd just be like way too many of these and they would kind of look too similar. But then they feel offset by the more zany, cut up, fractured pieces. This this kind of actually reminds me of like older Mark Knoll work in a way. 
um, yeah, the colors I, I think and the I can structures. see that, and like just the the pure geometry of it all. It's you know, I could almost see this as being like a um, not a work in progress, but it's like early sketches of fragments of a wave. Totally, yeah. And I think what you're seeing within like the seven, eight, nine being similar, it's the style trait, and those are all full sketch. Full sketch, okay. There's some really great ones that like utilize uh, like a kind of a slightly oblong imperfect circle drawn over them that then changes the color and kind of creates some nice asymmetry across the piece like there's a lot of really cool variation here but 150 it, maybe that was exactly the sweet spot and clearly people wanted it and went for it with gas i'm sad that i missed it because you know i'm personally a ryan bell fan here the floor though is not crazy crazy high considering the amount of gas it's it's a mere 140 Tez, so I guess it is still kind of accessible given how much of a frenzy it was. I think the the biggest thing to note for this, though, is that, you know, the last sale was a day ago, and it was exactly one sale a day ago. You know, it's really slowed down. Like, two days ago, there were only six sales. So most of this action has happened around the time of Mint. And it yeah. is over 50% listed, so I think a lot of flippers were trying to get in you know, they paid the 50, they paid 75 for gas. They're still profiting at a 140 floor, but it's not necessarily the cash cow that they were hoping to get. And honestly, that's kind of okay by my book. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, 81 listed is surprising. That's really surprising. I expect that this will be one that we'll see as pieces get undercut. Inevitably, there's going to be some big collectors out there watching this that are going to swoop in and clean up floors when they get too low. Probably as they approach like 125 or 100 or, or different breakpoints as we go down. So the lowest secondary sale was 125. And that was actually the last sale. So there's clearly people kind of watching it, but given the volume that's on the market, seeing this creep, creeping down to 100 or maybe even a little lower, I can imagine we'll see flurries of them hitting hitting the sales feed as... um you know, eagle-eyed collectors kind of revisit it and, and patrol the floors. It's interesting seeing like some of the top holders, like the top holder doesn't have any listed, but was able to somehow have five at mint price. I think we know how people usually manage that, just multiple wallets yeah. and a script or something. But You see some people will have two with both listed, but it looks like a lot of people with mul- a lot of multiple holders there, they don't have them for sale, so... So how, how did you feel about the drop, though, in general? I mean, is this something that you vibed with? Were you just kind of like curious about it as a, you know, as a I, Ryan Bell drop? Or what was your take? Well, I missed it because of work. But I think it's I think it's cool. Like, I kind of stand by what I was saying before about it seeing kind of like an interesting, like sideways jaunt from fragments of a wave just in like the exploration of color and geometry Mm -hmm. and perhaps that's something that we could say for most of uh, his pieces it's cool i can see why he kept it to the smaller editions as you said but it feels so much like a sketch you know like how ip sketch has been doing sketch a sketch b sketch c this feels like a ryan an i ryan bell sketch of sorts I think it's like not my absolute favorite, but it, it intrigues me again just to see that Ryan is capable of doing so many different types of things <laughs> and generating excitement. Yeah, it's still so like aesthetically pleasing. Just like the way that the shapes were formed. It is very old school retro, like mid-century. Like 
it's just well done. It's beautiful to look at. Well, should we... Should we wrap it? Or do you want to do some predictions? Well, well, let's talk about what we're looking forward to and make some quick predictions on these. There's two notable drops coming up. Planet Error that will actually drop the day before this episode releases. And that's the Ipsketch and Peter Pasma collaboration release. And then Turner Light from Alluvium that's going to drop Monday, the day after this episode releases. Both of which are Dutch auctions, both of which are up in the queue to play with right now. You want to start with Planet Error? Like, what do you? What's your read on it? Do you like it? Do you love it? Where do you think it's going to go? I love it. Uh, I like it a lot. I might miss the mint because of a birthday party for a two-year-old, which is also important. Um, but I see this going at 180 or 140, I would say. I'm in agreement with you there. The The Dutch auction starts at 999 and worms its way down to 100. You know, I think... It's more of a subtle piece. You know, what we can we'll talk probably talk about more of it next week and give our full reactions to the art after it mints. But I think there's a like a lot of subtlety here. And I I don't know that it's gonna be an obvious, obvious flip target for people. So I think that that's going to probably mean that the Dutch auction goes a bit further down before it mints. So I'll personally be looking to mint around one forty, but if it's starting to run at one eighty, I'll try to grab one, I guess. And then Turner Light is the other one. I know that you're a fan. I'm a fan of this. I was a little surprised to see some people kind of fudding it this week in Discord and talking about the uh, lack of diversity here because my impression of it has always been that it's like an extremely diverse piece and I feel like it should have more than 320 editions. But we can again talk about that next week. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a Dutch auction from 256 down to 66. I think it has a fair shot of minting out at the top level. Really? I mean, just remember, we'll be losing liquidity after Planet Error. I'm not saying I'm planning to mint it at 256. I'm saying I I would not be surprised if it does because I just think it's like the type of piece that people are going to look at and go like, whoa. And probably people, there's been, we've been seeing previews of it for a while now. I think there's excitement and that's just my prediction. Okay. I was going to say 160 is my prediction. Okay. 160 for you. Yeah. I hope it goes to 160. I'll definitely be minting if it goes to 160, for sure. Yeah, we'll see. That will, I guess we'll see what our predictions are like for people who are listening on Sunday. Uh, don't make fun of us wrong. for our Saturday <laughs> yeah. predictions. Uh, yeah. We are not fortune tellers yet. Cool. So should we wrap it there with our predictions and just look forward to the next week, Trinity? I think we should. Well, thank you as always, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Trinity, for joining us, co-host. We love to do it every week. Thanks again, everyone, for the donations. We'll see you all next week. Later.
when we began peeing and talking in front of each other. I wish I could remember. I would tell you. I wish I had to pee so that I could see if you looked, see if you questioned any less what I am about to say, which is everyone already expects us to be late. So maybe we all together just stopped being late. Late, 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 late.